to. I, you are, uh, that's pretty incredible. It, it's like the spirit is at work because next week is the power of love. <laughs> the power of love. Forgiveness. Let me tell you about Tommy Trouble. The names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Tommy Trouble was a fellow, this is a real story. Tommy Trouble was a fellow that, that I knew back in school uh, when I was about eight, nine years old. What, what, what's that called here, elementary? Yeah, eight or nine years old. And, and Tommy Trouble was trouble. He lived in the neighborhood near me, not, not right next door to me, a couple of streets away. And uh, he was always with a gang of about six or eight other troublesome kids. We used to call them the mob. And, and you would never see Tommy trouble alone. And they were just bullies. They were nasty, vicious bullies. And if they could get you on your own, you know, they, they would bully you. They'd be punching you and hitting you and doing whatever they could. And they, and they were never alone. There was always a group of them. So you're always outnumbered. And, and, and I remember this one time when I was about eight or nine years old. They got me in the school playground. My friends weren't with me and they're all around me. And Tommy Trouble, he wasn't very tall. He was much shorter than, than, than I was, much shorter than most of the other people in the mob. But he was definitely the leader of the mob. And, and he said, you ever notice with Bishop, he never cries. No matter what we do to him, he never cries. Let's see if we can make him cry. And I remember, surrounded by these boys, and he said, we'll just keep hitting him in the face until he cries. A smack on the cheek. I didn't cry. Smack, 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 smack. And they just kept going. And I didn't care about their punches. Didn't bother me. But I did start to cry. And they were so happy and so victorious. And the reason that I started to cry had nothing to do with the punches. It was the humiliation that I felt over what they were doing. And I can't say that I hated Tommy T. Yeah, I hated Tommy T. <laughs> and the problem with Tommy T, he stayed with me all the way through school through middle school, through high school, him and the mob were present all the way through. And nothing ever changed. Like I say, I, I don't know if I hated him, but I hated what he did. And I hated how I responded to it. You know, why didn't I just go crazy? Why didn't I just... But I didn't. I just stood there and let them punch me in the face. And I hated myself for that. I was humiliated. I haven't seen Tommy T in decades. I actually believe, I'm not 100% certain, that he took his own life when we were still in our 20s or so. I haven't seen him, but I've seen his type all the time. Bullies, abusers, manipulators, liars in the home, abuse, verbal, 
physical abuse I've seen it, that people have had to endure in the neighborhood. That one neighbor that just wants to put their will, their way over everybody else and does things to intentionally irritate everybody around them. I've seen it in the church. I've seen it in the corporate world, in the news. Tommy Trouble, Tommy T's are everywhere. So let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. Do you have or have you had a Tommy T in your life? It could be a Tammy T for you. And while my Tommy T, while, while that was humiliating, wasn't that big of a deal. Yours might be way more devastating than my Tommy T. A parent or a relative, someone who should have protected you, who abused you for their own gratification and kept on hurting you. A partner, your spouse, the one that you put your trust in, who trusted you the most, who you loved, who took your trust and your love and and just trampled it with deceit and lies and maybe even blamed you for it. Maybe your Tommy T abandoned you. Maybe your Tommy T was a friend that just when you needed them the most, turned on you and left you. Your Tommy T could be a spouse who stuck with you for 20 or so years as you went through all the hard times of raising kids, maybe paid for them to go to school. I've seen this. And then as soon as they've graduated and the kids have got old enough, they're gone. Thank you. I just need to find myself. could be a boss or a co-worker who threw you under the bus. You've been hurt. You've been abused. You've been lied to. You've been cheated to, cheated on. You've been abandoned. You've been, you fill in the blank. You've been Tommy Troubled. And maybe, maybe you're one of those lucky people that have just been able to let it go. Go past it. But maybe not. And if not, you might be stuck in this, this uh, forgiveness tug of war. You know, I, I was thinking about this. On one side, I wonder if you can relate to this. On one side, you've got forgiveness and grace. And on the other side, you've got revenge and retribution. And we all know as Christians, right, we're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to offer grace. We all know the scriptures that say, you'll be forgiven as you forgive. But the reality sometimes is that that the hurt is, is so bad and it's easy to say those words and to know those things, but to actually do them is difficult. And you kind of find you get pulled towards forgiveness and then the hurt pulls you back again and then you get pulled this way and you get the, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever feel that way? It's like, I want to let it go. I want to forgive. Jesus and and God has told me so many times, oh, you are forgiven as you forgive. It's like, really? I want to. I just can't seem to. So today's life hack, we're in a series called Life Hacks, is forgive one another. And obviously in a Christian community, the subject of Forgiveness, I don't know how many times I've preached it, comes up on a regular basis. But forgiveness is a tricky thing. 
we know we're commanded to do it, to actually do it is, is a lot more difficult. Grace. Revenge. I don't want, honestly, I do not want Jesus to forgive me in the manner that I forgive others. I'm really hoping that his forgiveness and grace supersedes my unforgiveness and ungrace. Where maybe I've tried to forgive and offer grace, but it doesn't really settle and I just kind of keep going back to it every so often. This series, Life Hacks, is based on a book by Max Licato called How Happiness Happens. And it's just a simple study of the one another's in the Bible. And so far we've, we've covered encourage one another, accept one another, admonish one another, value one another, serve one another, bear one another, and this week, forgive one another. And you can go to our website, you can go to um, our Facebook page and, and download messages, see the messages. The thing with all of these one another's is there's a benefit to living in the one another's and there's a cost to not living in the one another's. There's a benefit to forgiveness and there's a cost to unforgiveness. And the question that, that, we, that we have to ask ourselves, and each week this question comes up, am I prepared to pay the cost? Am I prepared to pay the price? Because when we live in the one another's, we're happier. The people around us are happier. Our relationships are better. On the flip side, at the other end of the road, when we don't apply these things to our lives, we're not happy. Our relationships are strained and those around us suffer. And I think of all of the ones that we've covered, forgiveness is kind of the crown on that for suffering and hurt. I like the way Max Licato put it in his book. This is right out of the book. He said, resentment sucks satisfaction from the soul. Bitterness consumes it. Revenge is a monster with a monstrous appetite. One act of retaliation is never enough. One pound of flesh is never enough. Left unchecked, grudges send us on a downward spiral. And he's right. And I think most of us can think of somebody in our lives that we've had difficulty forgiving, that we go back to. Your Tommy T or your Tammy T. And they've robbed you of so much. And the question today, I guess, are you going to allow them to take even more? How much is it costing you to harbor a grudge? How much is it costing you to not show grace? How much is it costing you to hold on to unforgiveness? Now, you might be thinking right now, like I said, okay, Pastor Mike, I want to forgive and I want to do those things. I just haven't been able to. So the, if you're ready for that this morning, if, if you've come to that place, if you're one of those people out there, and maybe there's only two or three people in this room this morning or, or maybe online that, that this really applies to, but if you're one of those people and you've been living in the pain and the hurt of unforgiveness, of things that have happened to you in the past, and you would like to let that go, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. So let's get real about forgiveness here. Forgiveness does not pardon the offense. It does not excuse the misdeed. It does not ignore it. 
And forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. Sometimes reconciliation is not healthy. Sometimes it's not possible. Maybe the person that hurt you passed on or moved on. And it's very difficult. You know, you hear that saying, right? Forgive and forget. Yeah, right. (laughs) I don't know that it's possible or even wise to forgive and forget. Sometimes we need to remember so that things are not repeated. I still remember Tommy T. Still remember how it felt. And the decision, I'm not ever going to let that happen again. Now, if you've got your notes page there and you like to take notes, if anyone needs a note page, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. We've got some back there. Anyone need one? Come on, I like to see him running around. Somebody raise a hand. One over here, two over here. Oh, this is good. Back there, over here, over there. He's kind of casual, isn't he? Let me get mine so I know what I've put on it. Over here too, Bob. Bob, come on, Bob. Bob, Bob, over here. You could lose a few pounds. There are some people online that need them. If you're online, they're in the uh, chat section of Facebook there. Oh, Bob, back over here again. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So your first blank there. Forgiveness is the act of changing your attitude toward the offender. You change your attitude toward the offender. Forgiveness is a decision to let go of resentment and thoughts of revenge and move toward living at peace. Forgiveness is a step in the direction of happiness. You know, when we look at this, this tug of war, you could, you could rename them. Can't remember which side forgiveness was on. Was it that side? That side over there? When you move towards forgiveness, you move towards happiness. When you stay in resentment and revenge, you stay in hurt. And we get caught in this tug of war again. I want to be happy, but here, I hate what that person did. If I ever see them again, I just want to be happy. Help me, God. It's so funny, you know, I was telling Sandra, Tommy T. There's so many things I want to share, but I can't because <laughs> it wouldn't be appropriate. We all have this stuff, don't we? This struggle between grace and revenge and happiness and hurt. A lot of research, man, I did a lot of research this week on this. A lot of research has been done into the effects of forgiveness and the negative effects of unforgiveness. I was reading a report published on the internet from Johns Hopkins Medicine. So these are, that's the people in Boston, I think. You know, they're pretty hoity-toity. And it said that, that studies have found that the act of forgiveness huge, reap huge rewards on your health. It lowers the risk of heart attack. When you forgive someone, it makes your heart healthier. Improves cholesterol levels. I don't know how. (laughs) Improves sleep. I can see that one. Reduces pain. 
reduces blood pressure, reduces levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. It is to our advantage to offer forgiveness to people. We physically are better when we become forgiving. One study, researchers asked people to think about a person who had hurt them and caused them harm. Just think about it. And they had these stuff, yeah, sensors all over them. And just the thought of the person led to sweaty palms, facial muscle tension, higher heart rate, and increased blood pressure. Just thinking about them. Now, while the people were still hooked up to all of this stuff going through it, they said, now we just want you to think and imagine the possibility of forgiveness. They didn't ask them to forgive. They said, just imagine the possibility of forgiveness. And all of those negative effects were reversed when they thought about the possibility. Another article I read from the Mayo Clinic talked about the sociological effects of unforgiveness. Anger. Bitterness brings it into every relationship, not just the one that was hurt. You carry it into the relationships. You become so wrapped up in the wrong that you can't enjoy the present. You feel that your life lacks meaning or purpose or that you are at odds with your spiritual beliefs. You lose valuable and enriching connectedness with others. I remember reading a quote years ago. No, I don't remember. (laughs) Living in unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and wondering why the rat doesn't die. They don't seem to be affected by it. I should drink some more. (laughs) Crazy, eh? So here's the bottom line, and this is your life hack for the day. Health and happiness happen when forgiveness begins to flow. That's right on your notes. Health and happiness happen when forgiveness begins to flow. That's why there are so many scriptures, we haven't got to the scriptures yet, that talk about forgiveness. And our core scripture this morning is Ephesians 4.32. We used to have a little song for this one up in Canada. I can't sing it for you because I can't sing. But I'm going to sing it for you. No, not. (laughs) Be kind to each other. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And I love the way Paul, the author of this letter, does these things to us. Here's the standard. Here's what you need to do, just like Jesus did. He kind of rubber stamps it. So, what, what does it mean to be kind? Well, in this sense, it, it simply means to be mild and pleasant, as opposed to harsh and sharp to each other. It doesn't say to selected people, to each other. It's far from, from selective. Be kind to everyone. Tender-hearted, that means to be malleable, soft, kind, and responsive. And the opposite, sometimes it's easier to catch it when you look at the opposite. The opposite of tender-hearted is hard-hearted, which is cold, stony, unbending unyielding. So let me ask you a question. When it comes to unforgiveness, especially forgiving those people who who have hurt you, which of these two describes your heart more? Tender-hearted 
or hard-hearted? Where are you at? And then Paul turns the screw, this part about forgiveness. Forgiving one another just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So let me ask you a question. If you flip your notes over, how has Christ forgiven you? And I've got, oh no, I don't yet. I've got a scripture about this. I couldn't decide. There's so many scriptures on forgiveness, but we're doing communion today. So I picked one about communion. It's Luke chapter 22, 14 through 23. It's, it's a troubling passage of scripture. It says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. This is leading up to Easter like we are. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. So they all know what's going on. Jesus has explained to them, we're we're having Passover, guys. And after Passover, it's all going south. And he's told them clearly, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be accused. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be hung on a cross. I'm going to die. And then I'm coming back to life. And I'm sure they're kind of like, what? But here they are, they're sitting together. I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body. This represents my body. It's going to be broken into pieces. It's going to be torn apart. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And Jesus had already explained to them that up to this point, that the path to righteousness, the path to being right with God, was obedience to the law and all the festivals. But the purpose of the law and the festivals was to show us that we could not earn our way to God. We would constantly fall short. And you'd have to go to the priest and offer a sacrifice. And the priest would offer up the sacrifice to God for your forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus came along and he said, we're abolishing that. We're not doing it that way anymore. From now on, I will be your sacrifice. I will be the one who forgives your sin. You don't have to keep coming back. When I die for you, I die for everything. You are forgiven if you trust in me. And this bread and this wine represents what I'm about to do. So he's sitting with his 12 disciples and they share this this wine and they share this bread and they eat it together and he tells them about this new covenant. And then he says this, but here at this table sitting among us as a friend is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? 
One of my friends, one of these people that I selected as my own, who sits around the table with us now, who shares the wine with us, who shares the bread with us, who holds hands, who sings with us, is going to betray me. Someone I have trusted. Someone I have called. The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Now, the weird thing about this scripture, if you read the very next verse, they start arguing with each other about who is the greatest. <laughs> Talk about a disconnect. But here's what I want you to get out of this. Jesus shares communion with all 12 of them. He's already shared communion with them. He's already shared the wine with them. He's already shared the bread with them. He's already told them, I do this for you, including... Judas, I sacrificed my life for you, Judas, even though I know what you are about to do. It's incredible. How has Christ forgiven you? Four things. He has forgiven you absolutely. That means past, present, and future absolute forgiveness. He offers forgiveness. He offers grace. He dies for Judas before Judas has betrayed him. And all of those disciples betray him that night. How has Christ forgiven you? Unconditionally. Scripture says, Jesus is looking at the people, he says, I don't judge you based on on whether you do or you don't do what I ask you to do. I don't judge you on that. I came to save the world. My forgiveness is unconditional. It's not based on your good behavior. It is thoroughly. He has forgiven you thoroughly. Every sin. Sometimes we hold on to something, right? Especially when it comes to this thing of forgiveness. Maybe you're the person that needs forgiveness. Maybe you've done something. Or maybe you feel guilty about something that was done to you. And you've harbored unforgiveness in yourself. Jesus says, I have forgiven that even if you haven't. And it is irrefutable. Some people teach that you get Jesus' forgiveness, but if you don't live right... He takes it away from you again. That's not what the Bible teaches. When you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've asked for forgiveness of sins, when he says yes, he means yes. He doesn't mean, maybe, we'll see. It's yes. You are forgiven. It's not fair, right? Because then your mind goes down the road of what's the motive for living a good life. That's a whole different sermon. Psalm 103, 12 says, He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Where does the east begin? Where does the west begin? You can't get there from here, right? (laughs) That's how Christ has forgiven us. That's how we are to forgive one another. When Christ called you to be his own, he already knew about you. He knew your weaknesses. He knew your failings. He knew what you have done. He knew what you were doing. He knew what you were going to do. And he said, I forgive you. Now go and forgive one another in the same manner. Ouch. 
That's hard, isn't it? So two things we've learned. First, forgiveness is good for you, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Secondly, forgiveness is the standard that God expects for his people. The question is, how? How do I do this? Well, the first thing you need to understand is if that God calls you to do something, he enables you to do it. So if God says you are to forgive, you have the ability to forgive. Even if you have not yet been able to forgive, you have within you what, it is, what is needed to forgive through the power of the Holy Spirit. The problem is sometimes we fail and we give up trying. We give up keeping on. We're never going to forgive the way Jesus forgave. The standard is too high. But I know with those things in my life, if I keep going back to them, I just have to keep going back to forgiveness. And at some point, I'm going to stand in front of Jesus, and he's going to say, you really didn't do very well with that, Mike, did you? You know, but I really tried. I know you did, and that's good enough. I forgive you for that. You didn't hold on to revenge. You were seeking forgiveness. You're just not very good at it. So how? So I have 12 steps. No, I don't. (laughs) I heard over there. No, it's seven. We're not staying here all day. (laughs) Seven steps. Step one, you have to make a decision to forgive. You have to choose forgiveness. Now, that might seem kind of weird, But sometimes we don't choose forgiveness. We go back to that thing and we allow it to keep hurting us and we hold on to it and and we... But what that person did, you have to make a decision. I am going to forgive. This is my choice. And you recognize the value of forgiveness. This is for me. This isn't actually for this person. It's for me. It's for my health, my physical health, my spiritual health. My emotional health. I need to do this. And you choose it. And every time it comes up, you go back and you choose it again. Step two, you need to be specific. It's not enough to say, I I forgive you for being a jerk. Am I allowed to say that? Too late now, isn't it? (laughs) I forgive you for being an idiot. (laughs) Not supposed to say that, all right? I'm not very good at this either. (laughs) You need to be specific. And you might need to, to, to think about, I forgive you for betraying me. I forgive you for putting your job ahead of me. I forgive you for cheating on me when I gave you my love. I forgive you for hurting me when you should have protected me. I forgive you for making me feel guilty about what you did. I forgive you for that. And you might need to make a list. Step three, ask yourself, why does this hurt me? What is it about it 
that causes me pain. So you're identifying the emotion. You acknowledge your emotions about the harm done to you and how it has affected your behavior and your relationship. What, what in this thing, what causes the sting? When I think back to Tommy T, it wasn't the punches in the face. It was the humiliation. And my response to it, I had to forgive myself too. Why don't you just, next time you saw him, just jump on him and pound him into the ground. And I could have, but I never did. Step four, take it to Jesus. Duh. No one loves you more than Jesus. No one knows your heart more than Jesus. No one knows your pain more than Jesus. No one knows what happened to you more than Jesus knows. No one knows the difficulty that you have in dealing with this than Jesus does. And sometimes when we feel pain and we feel hurt, we allow it to separate us from Jesus because sometimes we feel guilty about things. Why haven't I been able to forgive? Why should I forgive? Why did you let this happen? And it separates us. But God doesn't want your pain and your hurt to separate you. He wants you to use it as a method to come to him, to be drawn to him, to call upon his name. I need your help with this, Jesus. Let the wound be an opportunity to draw you near to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, He comforts us in all our troubles. Step five, I feel like I say this every week, don't do it alone. Sometimes you need professional help. If you've been abused, you've been hurt, maybe it's years ago and you might be thinking, I I should have got past that. And you haven't. Maybe you need some professional help. And you need Christian community in your life. You need a couple of people that you can go and talk to about this. I have people in my life that know everything. They know the dirt. They know what I've done that needs to be forgiven. They know what's been done to me that needs to be forgiven. And I can go to them and I can say, you know what, I just keep thinking about that again. Hey, I'll pray for you, man. They're not going to judge me. You need people in your life that you can talk to, that you can pour your pain to. But they need to be mature, strong Christian people that won't allow you to dwell and live in your pain, but will encourage you to move out of that pain. So don't do it alone. Step six, this is a weird one, conduct a funeral. Say, what? I have to be very careful about how I say this because I don't want to add to somebody's pain. But you have to move away from your role as a victim. It's easy to stay a victim. And it's easy to stay in the hurt of being a victim. And sometimes we can get comfortable with that. Sometimes we kind of enjoy it too. We just rouse up a little pity party every so often. But if you want to move from hurt to happiness... You have to choose, I'm not going to be that way anymore. You are the victim, but you don't have to live like a victim. You don't have to let that person keep you in prison for what they did to you. So sometimes get a little shoebox and write down your feelings and your hurt. Put it in the shoebox and maybe get your two friends and go somewhere, dig a little patch of ground, put that shoebox in the ground and have a funeral. And you can pray over it, maybe shed some tears. 
man, this is what he did to me. This is what she did to me. It really hurt me and it bothered me and I've lived with this for, for a long time and, and, and I'm putting it in here, God. I'm putting it in the ground because I am ready to move on. I'm burying it. That's not burying it emotionally. That's physical burying. So we might have a few people phoning people after this. Hey, let's go to a funeral. <laughs> and step seven, allow Jesus to use your hurt to heal others. Jesus never wastes our pain. The rest of that verse from 2 Corinthians, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. When you are strong enough, you will find happiness and joy in helping others overcome their hurt. I've been where you are. I know that God can heal you. He healed me. Let me show you how I want to help you with yours. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in my life. All right, it's 11.59 already. This is a difficult one. Because I don't know what you've been through. And I don't want to minimize what you've been through. Something I've discovered, whenever I get into a deep conversation with people, there's very, very few people that don't harbor a hurt. That haven't had something in their lives that has caused them pain. And sometimes those are big, big issues. And my prayer for you today, I pray that this doesn't just kind of pile on and make it seem overly simple. Well, you just need to let it go. I remember somebody saying that to me one time when I was dealing with some pain. You, you just need to let it go. Man, I'm so glad you said that. I had not thought of that. Man, I'll come back to you and I need some more help. Thank you so much. If I could let it go, I would have let it go. <laughs> the problem is I can't let it go. And sometimes we find ourselves in this trap. But you've got to keep going back to this. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You do have the ability to be healed and to live in happiness. It might take a lot of work. It might take a lot of prayer. And it might take ongoing forgiveness. You might have to get up every morning and start over. All seven steps every day. But you keep doing it. And the Holy Spirit will bring joy and happiness and restoration into your life. And at some point, if it is safe and appropriate, you may need to go to that person and physically, I forgive you. And they may say, for what? That's their problem, not your problem. You've done what Jesus asked you to do. You buried it. You move on. Amen? We're going to go to communion. I'm going to walk all the way over here and use the steps. Can I have those come forward, please, who are going to help with communion?
On the flip side of this message, you may, the flip side, <laughs> you may be the person who needs to offer, needs to receive forgiveness. You may have done something in the past and you've never really dealt with it. You've never gone back to the person. You've never asked for forgiveness. Maybe you've blamed them. Maybe you've just hidden from it. My prayer for you today is that you would think about the hurt that you have caused and that you would be humble enough to seek forgiveness. And if that person chooses not to forgive you, that's their issue, not your issue. We have to do what Christ calls us to do, regardless of how it is responded to. Today, as we come to communion, I want you to think about how Christ has forgiven you. And think about that person that you need to offer up forgiveness. And maybe today, just begin that journey of saying, Jesus, I want to forgive the way you forgave me. The way that we're going to share communion is two people there, two people there, and two people over there. Please come forward, take communion, take it back to your chair with you, and we will share communion together.
Did anyone go back to the children's room? Can I get someone just, could you get one of you guys? You know, you're both of It's hard, you know, when you think about Jesus and the Last Supper and he's sitting with his disciples. I want to be Peter. I want to be John. I don't want to be Judas. But we're all a Judas. We've all let him down. We've all betrayed him. We've all said we're going to do this and we did that. And we do it on an ongoing basis. I love the scripture that says, though, every morning his mercies are fresh. His forgiveness is absolute. There's nothing you can do to make Christ love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make Christ love you less. Just think about that for a moment. And I love the skit that they did because the music was right it's the power of love the power that drives forgiveness is the power of love does that mean that you have to love the one that hurt you maybe that's not possible for you but you can love you and you can offer that grace for you As he was sitting there, it says he took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Father, we give you thanks for this little tiny feast that we used to celebrate something that is so big. He broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given you do this in remembrance of me take and eat after supper he took another cup of wine and said this cup is the new covenant the new promise this is the new agreement between you and me and it's such a wonderful agreement it's not on your side It's on his side. He says, I do all the work in this agreement. All you have to do is accept the agreement. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Take Father, we give you thanks 
We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for grace. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that you forgive even our unforgiveness. And that you have loved us absolutely and completely. There's nothing we can do to make you love us more. There's nothing we can do to make you love us less. And Father, I pray that as we, as we commune here today, that you would just let us know the depth of that love. Pour it out upon us, Father, because when it comes to that person that we need to forgive, it is only done in the power of your love saturating our spirit. Give us the courage. Give us the strength to be the people you've called us to be and to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Lakeway family. You know, I'm anxious to see Sunday morning to see all the faces in here because you are family. And if you're visiting,